0: Hey everyone, Christy McClellan here, and I want to invite you to a brand new event from Lifeway Women called Feast. At this event, you'll be invited to feast on God's Word by studying the Bible in its historical, cultural context. We're going to get to know the Bible in its world, in its native habitat, text, and context. You'll experience teaching worship led by my 25-year friend, Laura Cooksey, and fellowship with other women around the world. Come and learn with me that the living God is better than we ever knew. Visit lifeway.com slash feast to learn more.
1: Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Elizabeth Hyman, and I'm here with my co-host, Kelly King.
2: Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. How's it going? It's good. It's good. <laughs> we are going to talk about a book of the Bible that probably people haven't done a lot of research on. So that's it's pretty so, it's yeah, true so. It's true. It's true. Yeah, It's got some catchphrases in it, though,
1: that Uh, we're we're familiar with. So Mm -hmm. yeah, but we're excited to talk with Hannah Anderson about her new Bible study, which is on the book of Ecclesiastes. But before we get started, Hannah, we always like to have people introduce themselves on the podcast. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. So I'm Hannah, and um,
0: part of what I have done, what God has led me to is um, writing and speaking over the last... Oh, eight to ten years, but I like to think that the the main work of my ministry really is happening with the people that I live with, right? So, um, over my adult life, I've sometimes found myself in local church settings um, in ministry as a pastor's wife. Sometimes it is with the local PTA or with my kids. So, um, you know, maybe it's hard for me to answer that question because it's the whole all of life is ministry Mm -hmm. kind of perspective. Um, But if you have to really nail me down, the specific thing that God's brought for me is writing and speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm excited to share this newest writing project with you.
2: Yeah, you have written several things, but this Mm -hmm. is your first Bible study with LifeWay. And so it's it's called um, Life Under the Sun. And Elizabeth said it's on Ecclesiastes. So tell us just a little bit about what we can mm-hmm. expect from it.
0: You're right. It is my first um, Bible study with LifeWay. I've done some Bible study work within my community and my local church for the last couple, um, last year or so. I've been able to host like a community Bible study and Create some resources just for us to use, but this was the first opportunity I had to create a resource that would go more broadly. And sure enough, because I am a writer, it turned out to be um, a very um, a Bible study that's very focused on the literary parts mm-hmm. of the of Ecclesiastes. And so I'm really excited to get it into people's hands because it's going to be great for people who love to read, who love to look at the structure of language, who want to understand what's happening in the, the imagery and the, all of those kinds of pieces. And um, so I found as I was writing it, all the things that I tend to do and focus on myself came forward. And I just thought that was kind of a neat gift from God to kind of take that and shape the way even, um, I approach the scripture.
1: Yeah. I think Ecclesiastes is one of those books that that will be so helpful because there are so many things in Ecclesiastes that you kind of read it and you're like, what, what? what? <laughs> are, are we sure this is supposed to be in here? Mm-hmm.
2: And so I think and that's going to yeah, be really like the good things and the kind of mm-hmm. sad things. And yeah. Yeah. The- and Life then
1: vanity, vanity, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. And we shouldn't read a lot of books or write a lot of books, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I did think one time we should have that verse, like, on the, like, outside of Lifeways building. Like, just with the—I I don't know, Hannah, you might be able to quote it verbatim, but something about there's so many books—there's such a thing as too many books or something like that. I just thought it would be funny, ironic, because I believe there is there's no such never thing as too, too many books.
2: books. I'm, I am— i I don't think I know that verse.
1: Am I wrong, you, Hannah? Is no, it? No, you're right. Okay.
0: and and it's translated differently okay. in different you know versions. But I think it's something to the effect of, "With the making of much books is much sorrow." Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a point where you can reach where that kind of intellectual um, pursuit that's you know kind of envisioned by books. Um, can just get too much, and you need to step away, step away from the books for a little bit. And and it's those kinds of counterintuitive sayings in Ecclesiastes that do make it um, difficult sometimes, but also very, very rich. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my um, favorite counterintuitive sayings is: "There's also a comment about." Uh, not being overly righteous, Mm. which sounds like, uh, wait a minute, I want to be as righteous as I can be. I Mm. want to do right. I want to be godly. And there's there's all these little quips that make you stop because it sounds so different than what we would expect. And then you get to unpack it, and you get to understand what's actually going on um, behind that. But there's something happening that arrests your attention, and that's, that's part of the
1: point of the way it's written is to get you to stop long enough and pay attention.: Yeah. So you may that may be part of your answer to this next question, but why Ecclesiastes? Why is it an important book for us to study? Because it's one that you don't really hear mm-hmm. like, a ton. I did have a friend in high school, though, that was like, anytime I'm feeling down, I read Ecclesiastes, and I know I don't have it the worst. <laughs> I was always no, like, that, that like, is what? a weird book to read when you're feeling sad. <laughs> but yeah, so why why is it an important book for us to study, Hannah?
0: Well, you know, I don't think I understood its importance until I had lived a little bit. Um, When I was younger, I loved wisdom literature, um, just kind of caught my imagination and my attention, but I found myself drawn to maybe Psalms or Proverbs, Proverbs especially, because especially when I was younger and just getting into adulthood, Proverbs felt like, all right, this is how we're going to hack life we're going to do this thing, right? Here's the wisdom. Here's, um, you know, God's kind of instruction manual for how you do this thing called life. And then you do that for a decade or two and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not turning out necessarily the way I expected. And I'm not sure what I did wrong. And so Ecclesiastes comes along and reminds us that there's a lot of variables in life that are completely outside of our control. And that's one of the core messages of the book is to stop long enough and recognize that we live um, in a world that's broken, that's under the curse. And there's a lot of hard things happen that happen, that happen to us, that happen around us, that there may not be a real easy or great explanation for. Mm. But ultimately... Um, As we work through the book, we find that there is a place we can put our trust. And it may not be in our life skills or our proverbs that we can hack life, Mm -hmm. but we are going to put our trust in the one who is beyond the sun. We're going to put our trust in the God who made this world and sustains it.
2: I'm curious, Hannah, when you studied this, a lot of people attribute it to Solomon. Is that where you end up?
0: Well, I actually... Took several different approaches to say, here's some information about why it could be Solomon. And I lay out that argument and I link to other texts and I say, this is why this is a reasonable um, assumption. And here's Why people think that but i also said but here's also why people think it may not be solomon because there's some tensions there's some verses in different parts of ecclesiastes that don't quite line up with um, a solomon attribution so i don't really answer that question for folks i just say here's the information um here's why people think this here's why people think maybe not but at the end of the day we know that it comes from the holy spirit And we know that it's part of the scripture for a reason. And I actually found that not knowing the author um, helped us personalize it Mm. because there's the temptation if we say definitively, this is Solomon, then we can kind of distance it and say, well, that's just the way it was for him, Mm. or that's just the way it was in his day. And the ambiguity around the authorship actually invites us into saying, you know what, this is for every man. This is for every woman. This is for every person that ever felt this way about their life. And they can show up and hear the words of the teacher as the book names um, Mm -hmm. the main speaker. And they can say, yeah, that's absolutely how
2: it is. That's that's how I feel too. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned... And even just wisdom literature in general, and it was interesting last week at church. Um, the guy who leads my small group, he was just like, "I really struggle with Psalms," and I was like, "You are the first person <laughs> that I've ever talked to that doesn't." I, I think that we tend to think that we like yeah. wisdom literature, but it can be a challenge. Yeah, to think about wisdom. literature. I mean, literature. there are some Psalms well, that, that are we are, are, are real. About yeah, that. we've talked
1: about that with Adrian too. Yeah, but um, yeah, so. He's not the first person, but right. to say but that is kind of rare because I feel like the psalms are very emotional, they capture a lot of human mm-hmm. emotion, mm-hmm. and then wisdom literature is sometimes difficult to interpret. Yeah.
2: So why is it important Hannah for us to think about wisdom literature in the context of what it is, like the genre that it is, and then also considering a little bit about the cultural context mm-hmm. within that.
0: So Biblical wisdom literature does present a challenge to us, especially as modern readers. And, and there's two things that I kind of brought forward with in writing the Bible study. And the first one is that it's not linear. So by that I mean it doesn't present an argument that just goes from point A to B to C to D. It it doesn't number things one, two, three, four, five. And here's your easy plan. Here's your steps. Mm-hmm. And I think for our modern minds, we tend to think in that way. We, we think in a straight line and, um, wisdom literature, especially in, in the Bible tends to go in a circle. It tends to come around and it says something, then it'll drop it for a little bit and then it'll pick it up. Talk about it again and around and around and around. And that's especially the case with Ecclesiastes, which it actually is a brilliant literary form because it's mirroring the um, verses that talk about life turning in circles. It turns, 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 turns. And what Mm -hmm. you see within the book is the shape of the subject matter actually goes in circles too. Mm-hmm. And so you'll come back to the same topic over and over and over again in the book, but not in a lit- linear way. He doesn't just deal with one topic and then move on to the next one and then move on to the next one. And I've heard some scholars suggest that wisdom litter takes, literature takes this approach because that's the way life comes at us. Mm-hmm. We like to have very linear arguments because they feel controllable, they feel predictable, they're logical. But so much of life just comes at us randomly, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You think you're going down one path and then suddenly something else comes in and interrupts that, something you never saw coming. And so when we talk about wisdom literature, we're, we're talking about how do we live the lives God has given us in honoring God with our choices, with our discernment, with making sense of our lives. And so there's there's an element here where the, the fact that wisdom literature isn't linear is because it models the way we actually go through life. So that, that's the first challenge, is that it's not a straight line. And we have to get comfortable with that kind of circling thought pattern. The other thing that makes wisdom literature um, a little bit of a challenge to us as readers is it's poetry. And poetry is very dense compared to prose or narrative form. Even the epistles that we think are really, really dense theologically aren't as dense as wisdom literature. And and a good example of this is you can take one proverb, um, whether it's found in the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes has Proverbs included in it as well. And you can take that one proverb and unpack it and unpack it and unpack it and mine it for wisdom, mine it for application, um, because poetry packs a lot of truth and reality into a shortened form um, in just a few words. And the work of poetry isn't in reading it so much as unpacking it. And so I like to think of poetry as a zip file. Right. So I don't know. We all use like Google Docs now, but it used to be when when you would send um, a large file to someone, it would be zipped. Right. It would be compressed. Mm -hmm. And the software on a computer would open that up once it landed on your hard drive. And so when we think of poetry, it's a compressed tight truth that we as the reader have to spend time thinking about it demands a lot more from us as the reader to unpack and apply its meaning um, to life. And so if we're in a hurry or we want to kind of tick off our Bible reading, um, wisdom literature forces us to slow down and we don't get very far very fast. Mm. You might take three or four verses and that might be it for the day, even if you get that. And so those kind of challenges make us maybe go to other passages of scripture, but I think the reward of really digging into wisdom literature is so profound that I just want everybody to come with me and say, let's roll up our sleeves and let's sit with this for a while.
1: took a poetry class in college Mm -hmm. and that was where we kind of talked about exactly what you're saying i love the imagery of a zip file because um every Mm -hmm. single like our professor was just like every single word of a poem every punctuation matters and it says something about the poem and is and so and about the truth that you're trying to get at so i love that zip file picture because i think it's so good and it's such a good exercise for People who want to write is to write poetry, I think, because it does help you to realize like every word matters. We gotta f- pick out the right words for each of these sentences. Um and I'm so I'm a
2: terrible I like poet. I think we've talked about this. Oh, like, have we? <laughs> I feel like I need to like I feel like I need to grow in that area. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I went as far as like haikus in fifth yeah. grade. That's about it. Haikus you know, are fun but, and that's a good exercise. Fun, yeah. Sure. yeah. But, I mean, just what you said, Hannah though, about poetry being dense. Yeah. Because when I think about the Proverbs, when I think about wisdom literature, it is something you need to camp out on. Like, mm-hmm. it's not something that you just kind of, and like you said, it's not just linear. It's not like going from point A to point B, C, D. It is, oh, okay, coming back around and yeah. thinking through that. So that's a really good way to look at that, for yeah. sure.
1: And speaking of, like, poetry, I feel like a lot of times when we think, we th- when we think of your writing, we think of art and beauty because mm-hmm. you do very much care about that and that's evident in your writing. So what place does art and beauty have specifically in Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. but then also in our personal worship? Like why? Because I know we have a lot of podcast listeners who may be like, I don't feel creative. Like art kind of scares me a little bit to think about that. So how would you encourage those listeners and what role does it play in our worship? I think this goes back to the conversation we're
0: having about linear um, communication or linear discussions. And in our modern world, we tend to prioritize logic or ration, or we prioritize our brains, right? So if I can get the point of something, just the facts, man. Just just tell me the point. Um, and so a lot of times our study will be very focused on, well, what is the meaning of this passage or what is the point of this passage? And one of the things that we forget because of our modern context is that we are not just heads on a stick, right? We're not bobble dolls <laughs> with just this big head. Our Intellect and our minds are really important and we need to love God with our minds, but he made us holistic people and we learn in a lot of different ways that aren't direct and logical. And the reason I know this is because I can know what is good or I can know what is logical and find myself doing the exact opposite. Even though in my head, I could give you a reason and explanation of why this is the best choice. And yet I find my body or when it comes down to it, my will doing something radically different than what my brain knows I should do. And one of the ways we explain that is by the idea of shaping forces or habits that there are things that we learn in our bodies and in our wills that don't necessarily pass through our brains. And you may think about this in terms of like, traditions that you grow up with, or habits that you develop within um, family life, or things that you just repeat so often that you find yourself doing it instinctually, and it kind of bypasses your brain. And so if that's the case, if that's the way human beings operate, and I believe the way God made us to operate, then we have a real opportunity here. Um, We can think about the danger of forming bad habits or having bad shaping influences on us. But we also have an opportunity to surround ourselves with habits and shaping forces that will actually lead us to goodness. And so this is a way, I think art and beauty is a way to teach us um, almost subliminally what goodness looks like. And and it cultivates our desire and our thirst for the goodness and beauty of God without us maybe even understanding that's what's going on. And so it's not that these things are pitted against each other. I would never say only do creativity or beauty or art Mm -hmm. or only do kind of logical, rational study. In my um, books, one of the things that I realized really early on is that my reader is a whole person and I want to reach every part of them um, with whatever message that I feel God is giving me to communicate. And so I'm always looking for ways, not just to get to them logically, but to get to their heart, to get to their will, to get to their instinct. Um, And you can do that through imagery. You can do that by shaping The conversation a certain way. And that's what happens in Ecclesiastes, as we mentioned earlier, that one of the points of the book is that life just kind of turns in circles. And you're supposed to feel a little disoriented when you're reading it because that's how life feels. So the feeling of not knowing exactly where you're going in the book is exactly what you're supposed to feel. Because then you have experienced it um, bodily and emotionally, not just logically, and so when we think of art and beauty, I think that's just another access point um, for us to be shaped by goodness and to be shaped by things that will ultimately display God's glory um, at a, a at a heart level, at an emotional level, um, and hopefully. As we're growing and we're studying and learning, all of those pieces of us will come together mm-hmm. and, and they'll correspond with each other and
1: holistically um, disciple us.
0: Okay. And that kind of I, yeah, oh, okay. I
1: was gonna say that brings us back around to the study of many books, create sorrow. That's true. It's cause if
2: you're only studying, then That's you gotta true. have the art too. <laughs> okay. I wanted to ask either one of you, so have either one of you done one of those immersive art exhibits?
1: Uh, like the Van Van Gogh? Uh No, I
2: haven't. Have you done one, Hannah? I haven't. Okay, so my husband and I went about a year ago, and I really did not know what to expect. Everybody was just kind of talking about it, Mm -hmm. and it, but it, what you said kind of reminds me of that because you go in, and you become you're immersed in the art. Like you are either sitting on the floor or on a chair, and it's all around you. You are part of it, and I feel like sometimes we we approach scripture. As I'm going, I'm reading, I'm getting out of it. What do I do? What do I, what What do we learn about God? Then how am I going to apply this to my life? But we don't sit in it and observe the beauty of it mm-hmm. and really immerse ourselves. And it comes back to that meditation part. I don't know. That just that picture came to my mind when you were. That's sure. you're,
0: you're absolutely you're absolutely correct, and I, and I love what you're pointing out about drawing us back to scripture because historically, um, in the life of the church, scripture wasn't read by mm. individuals. Right? Mm. Uh, literacy at the level that we experience it is a very modern thing, and so when people would learn the scripture um, prior to to literacy, common literacy, it would be through hearing it. So somebody else would be reading it to it. They would be listening to it. It would be through music. It would even be through stained glass Mm -hmm. and art where these things were being demonstrated, maybe in a literal way. Maybe it's a picture of one of the stories, but it could be through symbolism just as much. And and so some of our doctrines that we um, love so dearly have been um, represented throughout church history symbolically. You think of a circle or you think of a triangle and that's communicating something about God, God's everlasting nature of the circle or the the triangle as the triune God. And so I think for us, kind of recovering art and music and even symbolism is a way for us to sit in the scripture, Mm -hmm. even though it's not what we're accustomed to with that kind of direct reading.
1: Yeah, when you visit like cathedrals yeah. and like yes. places of worship from, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. you see like they had uh, when I was in the Roman Colosseum, there was a picture of Jerusalem, like on the wall and it was fa- very faded but the our tour guide was like this was their google images <laughs> he was like this yeah. is where this yeah. is what they looked to to see what jerusalem looked like cuz it was a church at the colosseum was used as a church for part right. of the time so they said they drew jerusalem up there so the people could see it and i was like i never even thought about mm-hmm. the fact that they wouldn't have maps like just in the back of their bibles that they carried around so they mm-hmm. needed to know what jerusalem looked like um
2: which was such yeah. a fun thing like Krista McClellan always talks about how we feast on the Word, we eat yeah. the Word, we ingest it. It becomes part of us. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Well, and taste and see. And the Lord is good. It's, it's two nice. senses.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's all over our scripture if we it just really pay attention. Take, <laughs>
2: pay attention. Sure. Yeah. You to, okay, oh, you I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. <laughs> so we want to talk a little bit about your children's book, too, because you also have written some children's books, but the the newest one is The World God Made, which I actually have a copy that mm-hmm. I gave um, to my daughter for my grandson's little library, and it is, it is so pretty, like just the, so pretty. the nature pictures and the animals and things like that. So what have you kind of learned about just kind of diving into different spaces in the books and children's books? Yeah, I, I again,
0: am surprised, number one, that I wrote a children's book, surprised that I wrote a Bible study, surprised that I wrote any books, to be Uh honest. But there is kind of a diversity in what I've been able um, to tackle, whether it's essay collections or um, more typical trade books. But one of the things that I have enjoyed through that whole process is learning how to design a resource with the reader in mind. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that has been um, continuous regardless of what type of resource I'm creating is I'm envisioning the person holding this in their hands and reading through it or paging through it. And so even with the children's book, I actually had an image of a group of people sitting with the book multiple ages, you know, maybe a younger child on the couch next to either an aunt or an uncle and an older child kind of standing behind, hanging back because they kind of don't want to be part of like the little Mm -hmm. kids children book, but also this is really interesting and they don't want to be left out. And so one of the things I think we do as authors for our readers is to create a hospitable place to say, I'm thinking of you I'm thinking about how you're going to use this resource. This isn't primarily about my need to express something. Um, This is about taking all the design elements that I've learned, whether it's length of a book, how to structure a book, the image, the feel of the book, and take all those design elements and try to figure out through the Holy Spirit's help, (laughs) what is the best way to bring those together for a particular reader and You know, I say, you know, through the Holy Spirit's help, because there have been times when I've been really, really stuck Mm -hmm. and I didn't know the way forward with a design. And um, one thing in particular I remember was when I wrote Humble Roots, which is a trade book, um, I started writing first couple chapters and I noticed that this botanical imagery was coming forward, that as I was writing, I kept like thinking of things in my garden and things outside and things in nature. And I got about four or five chapters in and I was like, oh no, I have written myself into a problem because now I've used enough botanical imagery that it's going to be a motif in the book. And I don't know what these other chapters are going to be. I, I really don't know what other images are going to present themselves. And I remember sitting down, I use a lot of like um, charts and spreadsheets to kind of, you know, lay out my books. And I had listed out all the chapters. I had listed out, um, the topic of each chapter and potential botanical imagery that would kind of represent that. And I had these huge gaps. It's like, there was nothing. I don't have the image. And I remember like literally saying to God, okay, you got me into this mess. This is your <laughs> problem to solve. So I'll be really curious to find out (laughs) what you eventually bring. Yeah. And it really was that kind of dependence. And each came when I needed it, not before, um, until it all kind of finally um, laid itself out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word, too, for anyone that's, like, leading a Bible study, leading a ministry, um, writing resources for even—like you said, you wrote resources for the people in your community Mm -hmm. um, to remember your audience and what Mm -hmm. is going to best— Serve them in this current season.
2: You to depend on the Lord when you get to that point where you go, I'm not sure yeah, where I'm going. I with this, and you yeah. got me in this mess. So come
1: on. I it. love that. I think I'm going to start praying that more. Like you got me into this mess. <laughs> yes, I think, so. I think so. Yeah. Well, Hannah, this is the marked podcast. So the question that we always ask each of our guests is, "What is one thing that has marked you in your walk with Christ?" You know, one of the
0: things that I can't escape is how much God is at work without me knowing it Mm. and before I even realize that I'm going to need something or how something is going to play out in my life. And for years, I'll just give an example. For years, um, I had gone to college and I studied liberal arts. I studied the humanities for a very long time, it made me a great dinner guest and completely unemployable. And
1: yeah, <laughs> as an English major, I understand. <laughs> so, so
0: I had these years, and they were the years I had young children. They were the years I was kind of really giving my focus to building my home. But there was always this sense of, I made a mistake. I should have studied something different. I should have studied something more practical, something that I could have at least gotten a job in. And then when God started to open opportunities to write and started leading me into the spaces I'm in now, I was just in awe of the education he gave me. And I thought, you could not have better prepared me for the work I'm doing than to have had that, um, it was a liberal arts education from a Christian college. So I also had the Bible, the theology, and there'll be days when I think, wow, I thought i had made a mistake, but you were leading that whole time and you were guiding. And I didn't see the wisdom of it until years later. And so when I think of my work, walk with Christ, I see it as marked by, um, a benevolence and a, and a providential care that is always two or three steps ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of beckoning me down the path saying, Hey, I got this. Just trust me. This will all
2: make sense at some
0: point. That's really good.
2: Well, I'm excited about your study. I'm excited to dive into it and to, you know, maybe take a group through it because I do think that there's just something really special about wisdom literature and for the opportunity for us to take a deep dive into some of the things that we just sometimes gloss over or we just put on a little uh, piece of wood and we hang it in our, you know, hang it in our bathroom or whatever. So, you know, that tends to be a, a lot of ecclesiastes. So, Hannah, thanks so much for joining us today. And listeners, thank you for being a part of our uh, podcast, and we will see you here next week. This is our final part of our story with Edward, who is helping us understand a little bit about the impact of Operation Christmas Child and packing a shoebox. So, we have some more of that story for you today.
1: Yes, yeah, so. As part of the shoebox, like you get to go around on this side of the shoebox. I love that terminology that Operation Christmas Child uses. On this side of the shoebox, you get to go around and tell people your story and you get to see some of that impact um, on this side of the world, on this, on the giver side and the receiver side. I'm sure you still witness that. So how has Operation Christmas Child marked you on this side of the shoebox after having received it?
3: After I received my shoebox and started doing all the things in my community in Senegal, I did not think one day I would be here <laughs> in the United States in the other side of the shoebox. But God, again, did a miracle. And I'm here. And the first day time I saw the shoebox again I saw the, the logo I was reconnected with it so happy that I received one and mm-hmm. it's where they packed shoe shoebox that was uh, for me uh, a continuation of the call mm-hmm. it's not just in Senegal I'm not going to change things that I was doing in Senegal here is another platform to show again that God have the continuation of his mission. Mm-hmm. As a recipient, my uh, call is to tell people that pack a box here. I'm the fruit. Mm-hmm. I'm the image of what you sacrifice to do. The call you answer from the Lord. The yes you say to the Lord, I'm the answer for that because of how you put your energy to pack a shoebox and God marked your heart to do it, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it was a mark to to, to put in people's heart. But my uh, call was in the kids, kids and youth, how to put that word of God in their heart. And uh, I was involved in my church mm-hmm. and also because of my background as a runner and uh, talking to the runners and uh, athletes, just to remind them it's not just people that receive a shoebox that are marked mm-hmm. by the Lord, but people that pack a shoebox also, yeah. because you have to use that call to say yes to the Lord.
1: Mm. I love that. I love thinking about the mark that it has on our lives as we pack. And Kelly, you uh, Mm -hmm. talked about this in the last uh, question about just how we have to kind of trust. We pack them and we try to make them fit as much as we can and um, try to get the toys that we think kids that age would like. But Mm -hmm. it is totally up to God who gets our Mm shoeboxes. And it is so cool to see those stories take place and the level of trust we have that the right kid will receive the right box. And we've heard over the years, story after story of like just the right box getting to just the right kid. And so Edouard got a yo-yo, and that was a (laughs) way of community outreach. And so I love hearing how God uses that and um, the impact that it has on both sides of the shoebox.
2: So absolutely. We want to encourage all of you whether your church is involved in in packing boxes or you as just an individual. If you want to find out more information, go to our show notes, and we would love to help you know how to pack that box. As you've heard from Edward, Operation Christmas Child delivers good news and great joy to children around the world through gift-filled shoeboxes. Shoebox gifts provide an opportunity to present the gospel to boys and girls in a clear, child-friendly way. And you can pack a shoebox, too. Drop off your
1: packed shoebox during the third week of November at one of their 4,500 drop-off locations across the country. Visit SamaritansPurse.org OCC for more information.
2: Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at ed hindman use the hashtag marked podcast to connect with us you can also find lifeway women
1: on all social media channels at lifeway women all of today's show notes will be posted at
2: lifewaywomen.com slash podcast if you love the show leave an itunes review it's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast we'll see you next time